Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? That, that well, huh? That was, that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Okay, I'm not even going to try again. But uh, hey, uh, I, I'm really excited about next week. We're going to be starting a new series called What If? And we're going to be talking about, like, what, are, what if we do some things differently this year? Like, what could possibly happen in our lives? In fact, you got some, some invite cards in your worship guide. I would encourage you to take some time, invite some friends, invite some family. It's going to be a great, great series. Been been preparing for it for a couple weeks. I'm excited about it. I'd love for you guys to uh, invite people. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. But uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about today. In fact, I'm so excited that I, I might lose my voice in this service. So if, if my voice starts cracking, I'm not going through puberty or anything. It's just like it's just going on me right now. So uh, just just please bear with me today. Um, I'm pretty excited today as we're continuing. Just over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some of the vision of our church. What are some of the things that are really, really important to us, especially in this new year? Like, where are we going? What are some things we're striving for as, as a community of believers? If you're here for the first time, this is a great service for you to be at, to hear a little bit more about our heart and what we're passionate about and what we love here at Coastal. But this is what I know, is that Life comes down to a few questions that we have to answer in life. If we can answer these few questions, I think that, that it will absolutely transform our lives. And, and like one of those questions is this. Uh, at a movie theater, which armrest is yours? Like that's a question we all need to answer. Like today, y'all are fighting with some people next to you. Like wh- whose armrest is that, you know? And, and I have a fundamental belief that I think we should share the armrest. We just need to decide who's going to take forward, who's going to take back. Like you just determine that and then you don't move from that position. Listen, if you're in the back and you go forward, just punch that person next to you. It's okay. Like that's legal. Or, or this question, why do doctors leave the room when you change? It's a question I have, like, you're getting naked so they can see you naked. Like, why do they need to leave while you're getting naked? Now you know why doctors are always running behind schedule. They have bad time management. That, like, we just solved a whole bunch of their problems right there. Or how about this one? Do married people really live longer than single people, or does it just seem longer? <laughs> I, I'm happily married, but, you know, I, that's a good, good question. I mean, we all have some major questions in life. In fact, going a little bit more serious, I think that there's a question that we've probably all wrestled with our entire lives. And this is, this is a, a question that's gone over generation, over generation. And the question is, is why do I do what I don't want to do? I mean, how many of y'all have ever asked yourself that question? Like, man, why do I do what I don't want to do? You all are a bunch of liars right now. Like, I'm just telling you that. Right, that all of a sudden, a lot more hands went up there. Like, I'm not a liar. I don't. Uh, why do I do what I don't want to do? And this isn't just a question for our generation. I mean, this is a question that's been asked for centuries upon centuries. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament in the, in the book of Romans, he actually writes this question in the Bible. This is a question that's in the Bible. He goes, why do I do what I don't want to do. Like, why do I keep doing those things? And, and it's a question I ask myself all the time. I, at our house, my wife Shayla, she loves to make break and bake chocolate chip cookies. Can I get an amen? Like those break and bake chocolate chip cookies, you pop them in the oven 12 minutes later. It's amazing. And, and she likes to set those out. And I'll tell myself, TJ, do not eat those chocolate chip cookies. And I'll walk away. I'll walk away. I don't want to eat those chocolate chip cookies. You know what I'm doing an hour later? I'm eating those chocolate chip cookies. 
I'm like, dang you, Shayla, why do I do what I don't want to do? Or there'll be times when, we're, when I'm having a loud conversation with my wife, and, and in the middle of that conversation, in my mind, in my mind I go, TJ, whatever you do, do not tell Shayla she's acting just like her father right now. Whatever you do, do not say that in this conversation. And, and the, the conversation will escalate, and I'll hear a voice, and I don't know whose voice it is, that says, why are you acting just like your father? And I'm like, holy crap, that's me. I just told myself I don't want to do that. And here I am. I'm, I'm telling her, did she, did, she's acting just like her father. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And a lot of us, I, I, it's a question we ask, why do I do what I don't want to do? You know, I say to myself, like, I don't want to go and look at that any longer. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And then what do you know? A couple hours later, you're back looking at that very thing. Or, or parents, you say, you know what? I'm not going to blow up on my kids. This week, I'm not going to have any blow-ups on my kids. And, and three hours later, they do something crazy, and you're blowing up all over again. And you go, why do I do what I don't want to do? It's a question we all wrestle with. Why do we do what we don't want to do? And we're going we're gonna to help answer that today. But before we do that, we're going to reveal a little bit of, of last week what we talked about. We started in a verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, that says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. And what we have to understand, we talked about this last week, is tax collectors were despised. They were hated by their community. And so Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And just for a quick review, um, this invitation to follow that Jesus extends to Matthew, it isn't just an, an, an invitation to Matthew. This is an invitation to everyone. This is an invitation to every single person that doesn't have a whole bunch of stipulations, that doesn't have a, you do this and then you can follow me. Like he didn't put all those stipulations on Matthew. He said, come and follow me. And, and in that day and in that society, like this was so foreign to them. Like Jesus is essentially saying to Matthew, hey, come be a part of my crew. Come be a part of my community. Come roll with us. And, and this is so different because the religious leaders of the day, they had a very, very different mindset when it came to followers. Their mindset was change and then you can join us. That was their mindset. Like, listen, you get your life all together. Maybe you've been in a church or you've been in some sort of organization or you've been around some people that say, hey, listen, change, and then you can join our crew. And Jesus kind of flips the script on them, and, and he goes, no, 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 no. Listen, join us, and then you'll change. Totally different parameter, totally different concept. He said, hey, listen, come be a part of us. Come with your questions. Come with your doubts. Come with your patterns of sin. And when you enter into this relationship with me, talking about Jesus, just like when you enter into any relationship, it is going to change you. Anytime you get into a relationship with somebody else, all of a sudden you start to adopt some of the same patterns that they have. All of a sudden you start to love some of the same things that they love. You start to have some of the same values that they have. Why? Because that relationship that you're in is always going to have an impact on your life. And Jesus says, hey, listen, come into a relationship and let this impact your life. And then you'll just naturally change. And that's what happens when we get into a relationship with Jesus. Now, continuing in those verses, in verses 10 and 11, we're going to read here. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable 
sinners. And so this isn't like one or two of Matthew's friends are coming over. It says that there were many people that were coming over. And notice that even the people that were jagged up and messed up, like the prostitutes, the murderers, the haters, the liars, like they're like, hey, we're in a category and we just want to be called disreputable sinners. Like, but like tax collectors, they're in like a whole nother level of a category over there. Like we don't even want to associate ourselves with them. And so they're there. And all of a sudden it goes, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Now for the disciples, this was probably their absolute worst nightmare. This is the thing that they were probably dreading the most. I'm guessing from the moment that Jesus invited Matthew to come and be a part of them, to come and be a part of the community that they were forming. All of a sudden, the disciples are like, Jesus, what are you thinking? Do you realize that this guy is a liar? He's a cheater. He's a traitor to his own community. I mean, this guy does not have a good reputation. And if he doesn't have a good reputation and he's rolling with you, what's that going to do to your, your reputation? You better think about this, Jesus. You better recognize who this is. This Matthew, this dude is a tax collector. Jesus, do you understand who you're inviting to be a part of us? Do you get this, dude? Like, because I think you're losing your freaking mind right here. Because, like, this is crazy. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And listen, I'm completely fine with it. But, guys, listen. Listen to me. It's going to get worse. We're going to go over to his house. And they're like, what? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, if we go to this dude's house, like, his friends might show up. And Jesus is like, yep. And not just a couple of them, probably a whole bunch of them are going to show up. And then they're like, Jesus, but people are going to think all kinds of things about you. And he's like, I just don't really care. And the very thing that they feared is happening, like, the the. The Pharisees are coming and they're asking questions like, what's up with your master? Why isn't he confronting those people? Why isn't any of that stuff happening? And the disciples, they don't understand why Jesus is hanging out with all these tax collectors. And what's interesting, as you start to dive into Scripture, as you start to read God's Word, you'll see that Jesus was unbelievably comfortable being around people who were nothing like him. He was just so comfortable with people that are nothing like him. And, and the people who were nothing like Jesus, they absolutely loved Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing that the people that were the most different, Jesus embraced the most. And those people embraced him back in the same manner. And I don't know what it was about Jesus that, that there was just this comfortability with people. There was this attraction with people. There was just this love and kindness that people were just drawn to him from different uh, uh, moral backgrounds, different value backgrounds, different social and economical backgrounds, all these different things. And he was comfortable with all them in the midst of all the tension that that created among all the people that are around him. And now maybe you're here and you've got some patterns of sin in your life, or maybe you're here and you don't feel uh, like very comfortable in church, or you feel like uh, we're not very comfortable with you being here, uh, you're, you're thinking to yourself like, man, if they really knew me, like there's no way that they would accept me, or, or you're thinking like they do know about me, and there's no way that I can really be comfortable in this place. Let me just tell you this right now, and this is important for you to hear. That is our problem. That is not Jesus' problem. Do you get that? Like that's not, that's not, that's not, that's our problem. The issues we have, that's our problem. Jesus doesn't have that problem. He was so comfortable 
with people that were nothing like him. And, and I just think that as, as a people group, we got to understand that, that Jesus was, was just so open to all of that. And what I've noticed over the last year in, in, in reading and studying and just, just seeking after God is that, that Jesus had a strategy to create community um, that is a lot different than the strategy that you and I use to create community. And whether you realize this or not, we all have a strategy in which we form the relationships around us. Whether, whether it's a, a, a list of, of, of criteria, we, if you were to look at your relationships, you would see that a lot of your relationships are based on your same uh, value system. A lot of your relationships are based on uh, your, your economic bracket. Like you would, the people you hang out with are probably in the same economic bracket. They're, they're based a lot on, on uh, the, the proximity of where you live a lot of times. And, and so all of us have created some values that drive how we form community. We all have a set of criteria that forms that community. Jesus does too. It's just completely different than the set of values that we have to form community. In fact, I, I, I put it on your outline like this. Jesus intentionally created community with tension. I mean, that's what he did. He just continually created this community with tension. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this or, or looked at this, but the community of people that Jesus surrounded himself with were so different than he was. I mean, there were people from all different backgrounds, all different trades, all different nationalities. They had different values. They had different pro processes. And if you're going to have a community with all these different people and you're going to have a community of love, then there's going to be some tension in that community. Because anytime you have a community that's full of love, there's always going to be some rubbing that's going on. There's always going to be somebody who's going to go do something. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I was not expecting them to do that. Or they're going to say something, and you're going to be like, that was not politically correct. And there's going to be some tension there because you're not ready for that or you're not prepared for that. And Jesus just purposely created this community where there was tension. Now, the reason I think that that's really important is because that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to create a community where there is some tension. Now, I don't think the community always has to be full of tension uh, because in any healthy community, there's going to be a little bit of tension, but uh, there isn't always going to be a, a full amount of tension, but there's going to be enough tension that it's going to be uncomfortable. And, and I think that for some of you, the, the tension here is going to be so uncomfortable that at some point you're going to go, man, I don't think I can handle this. Like, this is too much tension for, for me. Like, I'm going to dip out and go find someplace else to worship. And, and that's totally okay because I realize that Coastal, we're not the only church. We're not the perfect church. In fact, there's a lot of great churches in our community surrounding us. But we are a church that's going to embrace this value that Jesus had about creating a community that has some tension in it. And so if you're looking for a community where everybody dresses exactly like you, thinks exactly like you, votes the same way you vote, uh, has, has the same value system you have, has the same ethical system you have, uh, like this probably isn't the place for you because there's going to be some tension here because not everybody walks in with those same exact things. And we have been about creating an environment where we have said that, that 
People can always belong before they ever believe here. It's an important thing to us, and we intentionally create spaces where people think different and act different, and we understand that this invitation to follow Jesus is open to every single person. Now, the problem with that is that makes ministry and church really messy. And we try, and the key word is try, we're trying to create this community the same way that Jesus did. And so what I want to talk about is what was Jesus' strategy to creating this community? And, and it's, it's not a really hard strategy, but it's a pretty simple strategy. And uh, the first thing is this on your outline. we got to declare that everyone is welcome. We have got to declare that every single person is welcome. Because Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He was declaring that everyone was welcome. And there's a saying that we have here at Coastal. If you've been here for any amount of time, we say that everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything's possible. And that isn't some statement that we just grabbed out of the air. That's something that we believe that Jesus embodied, that he valued, that he lived out. If you look at Jesus's life, the thing that he was always about is Jesus was all about people. It didn't matter where they were from. It didn't matter whether they were Jew or Gentile, whether they were uh, an adulterer or they were married. It didn't matter whether they were jacked up or they were perfect. Jesus was just always, always, always about people, and they were always welcome. And his disciples, a lot of times, they didn't get this. In fact, a lot of the times, what this did for them is... is it embarrassed them because they didn't understand what Jesus was doing. You think about the story of Matthew. They're embarrassed by what Jesus is doing because they don't get it. See, what's happening is, is Jesus has invited them into this community. And all of a sudden, Pharisees are coming them to them and asking them questions. And I don't know about you, but anytime people ask me questions that I think I should know, but I don't know the answer to, it always embarrasses me. Does that, anybody else feel that way? Like, think about this. You're rolling with Jesus. You're his boys. Like, you're his 12 closest friends. And people are coming to you and going, hey, why are y'all doing this? And you're like, man, I don't have a clue. All of a sudden, they're embarrassed. They're ashamed in that moment. And, and they're going, like, I don't understand. They're like, well, why isn't Jesus confronting all these sinners and disreputable people and tax collectors? And they're like, I don't know. I think he should too, but I don't get this. Like, and they're just in this place, and Jesus has created this community with tension, and he did it over and over and over again. And anytime you declare that everyone's welcome, it always changes things. It always changes things. Now, let me kind of define that a little bit. Because declaring everyone's welcome is not applauding everything that people do. It's definitely not that. And declaring that everyone's welcome is not affirming everything that people are participating in. Uh, in fact, I put it on your outline like this. Uh, community is at its best when both grace and truth are there. Community is at its very best when grace and truth are both there. And this is a tricky, tricky element for us to understand because there's only been one person who's ever walked the face of the earth that, that embodied grace and truth perfectly in both senses. The rest of us, this is hard for us because grace and truth is, is a difficult thing to, to measure because 
uh, sometimes we're really truthful and sometimes we're really graceful. We have, an, we have a tendency to err on one side or another, particularly based on the relationship that we're in in that moment. And so with some people, we'll go into that conversation and we're extremely truthful. Like we tell that person, this is how it is. Like we're spitting truth at them. And then we'll walk over here to this relationship and we have a totally different context and we're fully full of grace with this person. And all of a sudden it's really difficult to balance this idea of grace and truth. But any community that doesn't have both grace and truth is going to be a community that is not fully loving. And that's the ultimate goal. And this is best displayed in John chapter 8 where, where Jesus is, is out in the sand and um, all of a sudden some some religious leaders and Pharisees and teachers of the law come to him with a woman who's been caught in adultery. And, and they throw her down at Jesus' feet and they say, hey, uh, this woman's been caught in adultery. The law of Moses says that she is to be stoned. And this is the famous story where Jesus goes down into the dirt and he starts writing in the dirt. And I can't wait to get to heaven to, to replay that because I want to know what he was writing. Like, what was he throwing down on those people uh, that was so interesting? And he stands up and, he's, and he says the famous lines, he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's a great line. Somebody's coming at you, go, hey, if you're without sin, go ahead and come at me. And all of a sudden, one by one, all of this woman's accusers leave. And Jesus looks at her and goes, where are your accusers? Where are those who came to condemn you? And she goes, they're no more. And Jesus looks at her, and he goes, neither do I condemn you. See, that right there is grace. See, she deserved to be condemned for what she had done. But Jesus extends grace in that moment. And then what does he say to her after he says, neither do I condemn you no more? Or neither do I condemn you? He says, go and sin no more. Which is the truth aspect of it. Here's the truth. You've been sinning. You need to turn from that way. You need to walk a totally different path. Grace and truth. The grace aspect of, of neither do I condemn you. And then the truth aspect of go and sin no more. And I struggled for a long time. Like, why does Jesus say go and sin no more? Like, why does he say that? Is that just like a dig at this woman? Is that just like, like let, let me just hit you one more time? Until I realize that the reason Jesus says that is because Jesus knows that there is a sting to sin in our life. Man, st sin stings our life, doesn't it? Come on, let's just have a, a mass confessional here. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever experienced a sting of sin in your life. How many of y'all need to raise two hands? I mean, we, like, we just experienced a lot of it. Yeah, because we, we, we've all experienced that. We all know the sting of sin in our life. And, and Jesus says, man, I don't condemn you anymore. There's this grace aspect. And then he says, go and sin no more. And the reason he says that is because he goes, there's so much more for your life. And so Jesus perfectly balances out this grace and truth. And so everyone's welcome is not the same thing as everything is approved. 
But what Jesus models for us is that for us, there's no room for judging. There's no room for excluding. There's no room for turning our backs on other people. There's no room for reducing people down to a label that society puts on them. There's no room to reduce people down to you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not healthy. You're not normal. You're not spiritual. Because the implication is, is always this. You're not, but I am. Come on now, isn't it? Like, you're not this. But what does that mean? That means that I am. And Jesus just says, man, there's no room for that. And honestly, since the day I moved here, a little over six and a half years ago, I've dreamed about and I've thought about this, this, this idea of what could it be like if there was a Jesus community that was so relentless, so passionate in its love here in South Florida that people who have been hurt by church or gave up on church or have never experienced church, people that never thought that they would sit next to somebody of a different race or economic bracket or Ethnic, ethnic background or cultural background. People like that would say, man, I'm not, I might not understand or believe everything about these people and what they do, but this might be a safe place for me to come and explore this invitation that Jesus extends for all people to come and be welcomed by him. And I always ask myself, could, can, is it possible, can that, can that possibly happen here? And it starts with this idea that everyone's welcome. And I'm telling you that while it sounds like really nice, like everyone's welcome, and everybody loves this idea that when we say everyone's welcome, it's going to create a lot of tension. It's going to create a lot of mess. It's going to create some conflict at times. But if we're trying to create a community where people can explore this invitation that Jesus gives, then we've got to have a policy that is just like, man, everyone's welcome. When we do that, number two, what will happen is we'll regularly confess that nobody's perfect. Regularly confess that nobody's perfect. Because Jesus created this community where anyone can confess, like, hey, I don't have it all going on. And, and I dream of a place like that. Coastal isn't that place. I, I'm not that person yet. Uh, I, I dream of a time where we can walk in here with no pretense, where we can walk in here without looking at how do I elevate my social status in this place? How do I get rid of the reputation? Because we realize that we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. That'd be an amazing thing. And what would happen if, if we did that is we'd begin to understand that the starting point to this relationship with Jesus isn't where most of us think it is. Because most of us think the starting point to a relationship with Jesus is I have got to try harder. Man, I've got to try harder to read my Bible. I've got to try harder to pray. I've got to give more. I've got to serve more. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And it's all about all these external expectations. And while those are good things, those are healthy things, they are not the first thing 
and playing a role of following Jesus. The starting point is actually way more simple, but it's also a lot more humbling. And it starts with a declaration of, I'm a mess and I need God. It's a simple declaration. I'm a mess and I need God. In fact, why don't you guys repeat that with me? I'm a mess and I need God. Okay, that was terrible. You all are, really are a mess. Like, we just determined that right now. So on the count of three, we're going to do this one more time. One, two, three. I'm a mess, and I need God. That's, that's way better. Way better. I'm a mess, and I need God. Now, don't raise your hands, but I, I know that there's quite a few of you that have been to an AA meeting before, and, and I've been to quite a few AA meetings in my lifetime. My parents are both alcoholics, and and I grew up and I became an alcoholic at a very young age. And, and so I got to experience some AA meetings. And the interesting thing about going to an AA meeting is as you walk into a room and it's kind of like a jambalaya of people. And uh, the people in that room are from so many different backgrounds. Uh, you know, rich, poor, white, black, orange, yellow. I mean, everybody and everything is in that room. And one of the really interesting things about being in AA is they have this thing called the big book. And in the big book in chapter 2, there's this great kind of quote that I just want to read to you. And they say this, We are a people who normally would not mix. But there exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and understanding which is indescribably wonderful. We are like passengers of a great liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck when camaraderie joyousness and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. And I love that quote because it says, man, we're a group of people that would not normally mix. And that's exactly what I think the church should be. It should be a, a group of people that would not normally mix together. They wouldn't come together, but they gather together because they have this understanding that I am a mess and I need God. They have this, they fully embrace this idea that, man, I'm a mess and I'm, I need God. And the early church, they understood this. They got this. And as you read descriptions, you see it. You read stuff like Galatians 3. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you go, like, how in the world can they say that? Because there's a Jew over here, and there's a Gentile right there. There's a slave right there. There's a free man right there. Like, I see those people, and they're like, no, 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 you don't get that. That's just, that's what people label. But when we come together, when we come together, we are one in Christ Jesus. We are it. See, there's no more labels when it comes to Jesus. We're all just part of Christ Jesus. And that right there is a beautiful thing. It describes exactly what we need to be as a church. That We need to realize that I'm a mess and I need a Savior. Man, and, and that is the backbone of everything that we build our church upon. And as a church, we're a group of people that don't necessarily mix real well. But we all share the same simple question of, why do I do what I don't want to do? We all share that question. And what unites us in spite of that question is, is we are a mess and we need God. It's the thing that draws us in. 
Listen, if you're a mess here today, let me just tell you this. Welcome home. This is home. If you're not a mess, just hang out for a little bit. We'll show you that you are. Because scripture is real clear. First John says, if we claim to have no sin, if you don't think you're a mess, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You're living a lie, bro. He says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We're a mess and we need God. One of the ways this plays out at Coastal, this, this tension, it, it pretty much rarely gets played out on a Sunday morning other than, man, I might create some tension for you uh, in your life. But this is mostly a one-sided conversation on Sunday. Let's be honest. I talk, you listen. Uh, you might feed back a little bit like, Wait, like, that's good or yeah or whatever you, you might do out there. But this is really a one-sided conversation where this really happens, where this community that Jesus is trying to form really happens is in our connect groups. It happens in what happens outside these four walls. It happens when we do life together. And next week and the week after, we're going to be having some sign-ups for connect groups. I think this is a great opportunity for you if you want to see your life different this year, if you want to see your relationship with God grow exponentially and be challenged in some thinking and some thoughts and some patterns that you probably don't even realize that you have. One of the best places you could do that is in the context of community. In community where there's some tension, because this is what I know in life. Where there is no struggle, you'll have no strength. And if you don't have some people in your life that are a little bit of sandpaper to you, you're never going to get smoothed out. You're just going to be rough around the edges for the rest of your life. And see, like a church service doesn't do that. As much as I love this, like that's not going to happen here. That only happens in relationships. And it's in a critical, critical thing. And so I encourage you to get involved in that and check it out. And then number three, against all odds, we believe that anything is possible. And this is the part that I love. This is the part that gets me jacked up about church and coastal. Because in the Jesus community, listen, you just never know. You just never know what's about to happen. You never know what's about to take place. You never know about what God is going to do in somebody's life when he comes inside of them and his spirit fills them up. You just don't know how he's going to move, how he's going to change, how he's going to transform, how he's going to use them to impact the world. You just never know. It's amazing. And this is why I'm addicted to ministry because I love life change. I love seeing people that you just never know about. All of a sudden you start to know about because God is doing something in their life. And this story of Matthew is all about life transformation. This is just the front end part of it. It's about the beginning of a transformation that's taking place because the love of Jesus is breaking down some of the walls. The truth of Jesus is helping him come to reality in some areas of his life. And the grace of Jesus is giving him a second chance. And this is what I love about Jesus is he is the God of a second chance, a third chance, a 300th chance. For me, like a hundred thousandth chance. And that's an amazing thing. And the, the thing about second chances is we should be handing out second chances to people like candy. Like we should be giving them the opportunity to have this thing that all of us need, which is hope. 
And this is what I believe, and I'll put it in your outline. Following Jesus compels us to see people, not for who they are today, but for who they could become tomorrow. Compels us. It's not about who they are today. It's about who they could become tomorrow. There's a story of a young lady that uh, walked into our church. I don't know how long ago it was. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was a year and a half ago. And uh, she got involved pretty quickly. And God started doing a lot of things in her life. And and I remember her uh, coming to me one day after services and said, Hey, Pastor PJ, can I talk to you? Like, I just want to tell you my story and thank you. I was like, okay, it's... I'll just be honest, it's always an awkward conversation because I'm like, I don't really do any of this stuff. Uh, God does all this stuff. Like, I can't take credit for things that God does, even though people think, like, that's my credit. It's not. And she goes, um, like, I've had this longing for God. And I've been trying to run after God. And, like, I, I knew that there, there's more. There's more in life. And I would go... And I, I knew that to have God, like, like the place you find God is church, right? Like that, just, that just makes logical sense. And so I, I would go to church, and uh, I would get judged, and I would get ostracized. And people would shun me, and they would ignore me. And church after church after church. And I don't know if she was quite there, but I think she was pretty close to this idea of like giving up on church because it's a bunch of hypocrites and haters. And she said, you know, some of my coworkers were talking about this church and called Coastal Community Church. And I thought, man, I'll, I'll give it a shot. She told me I walked in for the very first time and I met you up front and I didn't know who you were. And, you know, right away you're, giving me a hot five and started asking me about my tattoos and the reason I got judged everywhere I went is because I have, have tattoos like people automatically put me in a category they don't they don't know anything about it and, and the first thing you're like is like hey sweet tattoos what do those mean because I know people that have tattoos they don't get them for no reason it's not like they just get drunk every night and go get tattoos that's an expensive habit <laughs> I mean nobody's that wealthy starts telling me about her tattoos i i roll up my sleeve show her my tattoos because i have tattoos some of you don't know that you might not be able to go to church here anymore i know it's it's crazy sinner she walks along and another person greets her helps her get some coffee and donuts and people are just welcoming her and helping her find her seat and talking to her and All of a sudden, she starts building these relationships with people. She starts getting involved. Before long, she's one of our very best first impressions people. I mean, just absolutely loves people passionately. Most people don't even know she has tattoos. They think it's part of her, like, dress that she's wearing. It's, like, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's so cool. And, and God has been doing so much in her life now. She's going on a missions trip this summer with us. And not only is it impacting her life, but it's impacting her mom's life. 
But she invited her mom, and her mom is now going on a mission trip with us as well. And and so many times, what happens is is that we we judge people based on appearances or our preconceived ideas or what we perceive as their past instead of looking at them and seeing their potential. And I think about every conversation that Jesus had. He never, he never put the focus on the past. He always put the focus on what they could be in life. About the possibilities, not about the past mistakes. He realized that the past mistakes don't necessarily define you, but that process might refine you to be the person that you could possibly be. The thing that I realize is that deep down inside, every single one of us has this longing to be fully known and to be fully loved. It's what we all want. We want to be fully known and we want to be fully loved. The problem is, is that we think that if, if we're fully known, like if people know everything about us, there's no way that they would fully love us. Isn't that the truth? Like if you knew everything about me, would you really? Would you really invite me over? Would you really be my friend? Would you really care about me? And see, the invitation from Jesus We have got to remember that this is an invitation for all of us to be fully known and fully loved by the creator of the universe. And it's our church, it's our job as a church to remind people of that. That, man, we are just ambassadors of hope to people. That, man, there is a God that fully wants to know them and that fully loves them and accepts them right where they are and isn't going to let them stay the same. But because of the relationship, it's going to totally transform them. And we give people hope against all odds that what they did yesterday does not determine who they can be tomorrow. Man, we're these ambassadors of hope. We're these ambassadors of this grace. And we've got to remind people that anything is possible. And I know some of you guys are like pushing back and going, but TJ, I I don't see how you can think anything is possible and you want to know why I believe that anything is possible it's because I have a God who loved me so much that 2,000 years ago he sent his son to this earth to die on a cross for my sin and my shame and my pain and my anxiety and my my self-worth and all of the things that I've struggled with in life and he took those to the grave and he defeated them in hell and then he rose back to life and he ascended to heaven telling me that nothing can't be defeated that nothing is impossible for me and that all of the impossibilities that are out there are put on me by other people and other things because my God is a God of the impossible and so as a church man we fundamentally wholeheartedly believe that man anything's possible and because of that everyone's welcome Because none of us are perfect, and God can still do the impossible. Let's pray. God, I just come before you.
And I thank you that you're a God that loves us so much that you extend an open invitation. It's not just an invitation for a few select few. It's not an invitation just for the people who've got it all together. But it's an invitation for everyone. God, and I pray that that we'd realize maybe today we've, we've never accepted that invitation, that today would be a day that we'd make a choice to choose to follow you. With all of our doubts, with maybe our patterns of sin, with maybe our questions, you don't care that those things are still there. You just say, come and follow. And that as we do that, that we would realize that the most important thing we do in this relationship is we, we make a confession that, man, I'm a mess and I need God. That I don't have it all together. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, I can have life and I can have it more abundantly by confessing. And that as I confess, God, that you're not going to limit my life based on my past. But God, you've got an unbelievable potential in me. And you believe that anything is possible. And God, I pray that right now that you would help each and every one of us believe that as well. And maybe you're out there today and you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ and you're here today and there's something inside of you that, man, is, is tugging on you. Or maybe you've made a decision and you've fallen away and you feel that thing going on. That's the Holy Spirit. And maybe today you need to make that choice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you here today. If you just slip your hand up, I'd love to pray with you. Anybody out there? Yes, thank you. Anybody else? You put your hand down, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'll see you. If you just pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud, God, thank you so much for sending your son. I accept your invitation to follow. I believe that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross so I could have life and I could have it more abundantly. And today I confess to you, man, I'm a mess. And I need a Savior. I need you, God. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. Help me to see not the limitations of my past, but the possibilities of my future because of what you're doing inside of me. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.